What's going on, friend? Thanks for tuning in to the Work Faith Podcast. At WorkFaith, we provide faith-based training and coaching for anyone who desires long-term employment. For marketplace leaders looking to grow in thought leadership, this podcast is for you. Our goal of this podcast is to equip you with ideas, leadership skills, and values to help you find true fulfillment in the intersection of work and faith. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Anthony Flynn, and I'm your host. Let's jump right in. Today, I have the awesome privilege of interviewing a great friend of mine, uh, Miss Danielle Joyner. But before I tell you a little bit about Danielle and before we dive into the interview, I want to tell you a little bit about our topic today. Our topic today is work is a privilege. Work is a privilege. So at Work Faith, we don't believe we have to work. We believe we get to work. We see work as a privilege. And so Danielle and I are going to dive into this topic today. And I'm incredibly excited. Look, I met Danielle probably three or four years ago now. And uh, man, what a joy, what an honor to meet such an incredible human being. Danielle, just to give a little bit about her background, and I'm going to have her actually share more, but she had the privilege of being, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. She'll, she'll correct me in a moment, but I think she was the youngest uh, McDonald's franchise owner uh, in the company. Uh, she actually had the privilege of owning three of her own franchises and her family actually owned a larger conglomerate of franchises uh, for McDonald's. And uh, but they they had the privilege of exiting that business, uh, so they sold off their restaurants, and now Danielle is an, an, an emerging and a prominent real estate agent uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. So uh, one of the most fabulous and awesome people I've ever had the privilege of meeting. Uh, Danielle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Anthony. Man, it's such an honor. Thank you, because I know you're busy, uh, and we were very strategic about the people we wanted to be a part of this of this podcast. So, uh, and especially early on in our series. So thank you so much for being willing to do this and to journey with us. So I, I look, I want to ask you to tell us a little bit about your story before I dive into all my deep questions and everything. Tell us a little bit about your story and your background and how you got to where you are. Oh, wow. You know, I just always attributed um, my success to other people, you know, just uh, starting off with my parents you know, uh, we started out in Alabama and uh, they were McDonald's franchisees in Mobile and then divested, moved to Birmingham and then divested again and moved to um, Jackson, Mississippi, where I became an owner operator. And just, you know, throughout the entire course of our family's 35 year history with McDonald's, um, we were always a family unit. You know, work was just always a part of our daily routine. You know, if you weren't in school, if you weren't in athletics or some kind of extracurricular activity, you needed to go to work. You needed mm. to be doing something to contribute because that was just part of our upbringing. So um, I uh, was not always working. I had a, a lot of time doing athletics. I was really heavy with track and field. I was state champion in high school. So just being committed to something and being excellent and trying my best at something was just how I was raised. It was always kind of ingrained in us. So that I've taken, you know, into my adult life. And so now um, when I was uh, with McDonald's, I don't think I was the youngest, but maybe one of the youngest, I'm not sure. Uh, we, we never focused on titles. We just focused on the privilege of being able to grow and develop the people that were working with whether they were your um, counterparts, you know, um, your fellow 
other operators, we would sow into them. Or if it was the people um, like your mid managers and uh, employees, we just always kept people at the front of what we were doing. So now as a real estate agent, I take that um, people passion into what I do. Now, tell me a little bit about what it was like as a child. So if I'm not mistaken, you don't really have a memory outside of the McDonald's world, right? I think by the time you were born, your parents were already in the business. Is that accurate? That's correct. Yeah. So you grew up. I mean, talk about, you know, balancing all of that. I mean, I know that had to be unique in comparison to a lot of your peers, right? So, you know, your family, McDonald's owners, uh, and yet you still had, you still lived life as a kid, as a teenager. So what was that like with your family grinding every single day as they did? And yet you still trying to be a kid and still trying to be a teenager and still, you know, keeping your academics up, you know, still participating in sports and other extracurricular activities. Talk a little bit about that for us. You know, it was it was my normal. I didn't know that people just went to work nine to five. I didn't know that uh, you didn't talk about, you know, business and other things at the breakfast, lunch and dinner table. You know, I didn't know that kind of stuff. I didn't know people had Saturdays off and, you know, the phone didn't ring all the time. I thought it was just normal. And um, to me, it was a very happy childhood. It was a happy life. I didn't feel like my parents neglected me. I didn't feel like I didn't see my parents like they were stressed out entrepreneurs, you know they balanced it really well. You know, I grew up in a great way. And can you elaborate? Because the reality is that's such a different mindset from at least I know how I grew up, you know, the idea of work uh, and, and just in candor, you know, because of the communities that I was a part of, a lot of the people around, it was a challenge to get many of my peers to understand the value of work the way I understood it. You know, I had my mom and stepfather, you know, my mom was a teenage mom, had me, you know, as a teenager born into poverty, but she and my stepfather, who, who he eventually came into my life, they, they had a, I like to say they had a blue collar grind, right? And so I learned work uh, and understood work as a privilege because of the fact that I saw so many of my peers struggling and many of them didn't have, you know, a male in the house. Uh, and even for those who did, frankly, uh, the males weren't always active, should I say, and weren't always, you know, uh, leaning into work. And so and I, I want to hear a little bit more from you about what that was like compared to your peers. You know, was it hard being a young person, being a teenager, with that mindset of an entrepreneur in conjunction with peers who may not have had that similar mindset. You know, I was actually just talking about this with my best friend um, and we grew up together. You know, we, we've been in school together since second grade and uh, the, we were talking about why we were still friends and why we were friends then because neither one of us had a lot of friends in school. We were not like the most popular of, of all the girls and, you know, uh, her parents, had a business as well. So after school, she would go to work or on the weekends, she was at work. And, you know, we kind of bonded over that. We understood. So there wasn't that you're an odd person because you can't come out and play or you can't go and do these different things that, uh, you know, a lot of middle school and high school girls were doing. 
we understood each other. So uh, I think that helped our friendship kind of last and cultivate. We were also having like different higher level type conversations. You know, we were talking about the things we would see go on at work and how we understand how some adults couldn't hold their job together or, you know, uh, the difficulties that some people were going through and how necessary it was just as a child's perspective. So um, it, the impact it had on me as a child in my social life was okay. Cause just mm. like as an adult, you start to attract who you are, mm. you know, your inner circle becomes, you know, very familiar to you. They have the same, they have the same taste and smell as you. So it, I didn't feel any lack, you know, and the result, I mean, it's, it's held on, you know, those same friends that I identified then with, you know, now, 30 plus years later, we're, we're still friends. It made for a great foundation. Reflect a little bit for me on how growing up with that entrepreneurial mindset and just the mindset of work, right, in various facets of your life, reflect and share with me about how that has impacted you now as an adult. So, for example, you transition from the business, you all were privileged to actually sell uh, your restaurants, and now you're a real estate agent. All right. How has your growing up uh, and the work ethic centered around that? How has that impacted you and furthered you in your career, considering you made a major transition? Um, how it impacted me? It just made me. Um, you know, it made my world bigger, if that makes sense. Like mm. I just always knew because I had seen it. You can you can grow to whatever level you want to grow to whether it was within someone else's company, you know, we would grow people from like a, um, an employee, entry employee level all the way up to uh, some people that we recommended for ownership or some people that we recommended for um, district manager type levels, you know, that kind of thing. So it, it just showed me that you can do what you want in this world. It, mm -hmm. it gave me little room for excuse because I could see what you could do if you just worked hard and you were consistent. Let's let's do a scenario with me. So imagine it's a Monday morning and someone's getting out of bed and they're dreading their upcoming week uh, and they view their job as something they have to do in order to pay their bills. How would you help them view work as an opportunity and make that mental shift? So because I know you probably had to do that a lot in your world, in the McDonald's world. Right. So talk a little bit about culturally how you and your family, specifically you, you had three restaurants. You were younger. Also, and you had those three restaurants. How did you help people make that shift, or did you help people make that shift? Was it was it challenging? Did you do you feel like you were successful at helping people make that shift? I would say yes, but okay. um, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You know, sometimes we do get into jobs that are just not a good fit. You know, <laughs> you know, you probably should not have taken the job. You might have not done the research that you should have done prior, but that does not give you a reason to bring your your gloom to the workplace, you know, and to not bring your A game and your best to what you're doing. So if it was a Monday morning and somebody came in, and, it, and you're right, it happened a lot. Um, even when I was a store manager, you know, I'd, I'd catch them at the door. You know, you can feel when somebody. <laughs> energy level is a little lower than what you've created within the culture and environment of where you are, whether it be a restaurant or a large corporation. So you pull those people aside, 
the biggest thing I see people at the top not doing in leadership is taking an interest in the people that are working with them. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you just um, a quick like, hey, you okay? We're having a great day in here. How are you? You know, just something to acknowledge that you notice, one, that you're not motivated. Mm-hmm. And two, that, you know, hey, I'm opening the door and opening the gate for a conversation if you'd like to have it. And we can discuss why you're not motivated right now. You know, uh, things like that make a big difference. And that is one thing my family especially my mother and father did very well. They took an interest in people, um, not just how well they could perform and make profit for them, but um, how was your family? What were the needs? It wasn't about giving handouts. It wasn't about giving anything free. It was more about um, being a mentor and a guide. Mm. In light of that, Danielle, look at it from the side of the person that's coming in, right? They see you you know, this young, ambitious leader who has been groomed for success. And in their minds, their circumstance is radically different from yours, right? So they're showing up to work. They're in pain. You know, life is happening uh, outside of work for them. Talk a little bit about, man, that tension that you had to help people navigate where it's like, Hey, I know life is happening outside of work, but when you're at work, I need you to be at work. I need you to work. Right. So what was that like as a young leader actually trying to get people on the bus, if you will, and perform and produce at the level that you were, you were expecting of them. You had to create the environment. Mm. Your environment had to be consistently nice. People want to come to an organized workplace. Mm. They are going to have problems. They do have bills. They do have things going on. Honestly, they don't want to think about it at work. If they got to come to work and it's a mess as well and home life is a mess, you're going to have some really stressed out individuals and employees working with you. So as a young leader, um, I I never saw myself as just some young person winging it. You know, I knew what I was doing. Uh, I was confident about it. Mm. You know, I wanted them to be successful and they knew that. You know, they always knew they they said they they saw me as a hard worker. You know, a lot of times um I wasn't just kind of like in the office. I was actually, you know, in the kitchens, in the lobbies, getting to know the guests, you know, just out there and aware and uh, keeping my ear to the ground as to what was going on. You know, once you lose the pulse on what's going on within your business, there's no way that you can uh, control the culture. And then at that point, you have failed as a leader. Now, you know, it's interesting because in some of my research, you know, hospitality, uh, you know, food services, retail, three of the hardest industries for retention. Right. So I'm hearing you talk about, you know, you couldn't control the attrition to some extent, but I'm hearing you say, you know, as a leader in that culture, you had to do the best you could to actually try to, you know, create a culture, create an environment where people wanted to be a part of that environment, where people wanted to show up to work. Talk a little bit about, man, the difficulties of being in the food services business in that industry and trying to keep your employees engaged. Again, you can only do so much. You can only control what you can control. So what are your thoughts around that? You know, people talk. 
So prior to an employee even coming to interview with you, they know all about you, the owner. They know about um, your company structure, who runs HR, who does payroll. They probably know more about your business than you could ever imagine because people talk. Mm. So your reputation has already gone in front of you. So you're going to attract the kind of person that your reputation warrants. So we were we were really blessed. We attracted some wonderful people. And the ones that knew that they would not get away with um, half halfway doing their work or attempting theft or, uh, you know, just not being a contributor, they knew they weren't going to last long. They had already heard about the reputation of the business. And they knew if they did make it in, tried something that didn't work, they weren't going to be able to come back. So other employees that didn't want to work around that element, you know, they understood, okay, they're not going to play around and I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be in an environment where, um, you know, they respect me and my time. Mm -hmm. You as a leader, when you hit walls, because we all hit them, right? We all have times in our lives, even as successful leaders, where we hit walls. What were some of the things you did to keep yourself encouraged because so bringing it back to work faith, a lot of the people we serve, you know, have man, just a lineage of challenges and, 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 uh, you know, addiction, alcoholism, you know, family structure challenges. I mean, you name it, they're coming out of prison. They're constantly dealing with a lineage of challenges. Talk a little bit about for you personally, how in the face of adversity, how did you will forward? How did you continue uh, to press through adversity and keep going and keep powering forward, even though you were in the role you were in? You sometimes, you know, you have to put a, put yourself in a little bubble. You know, you know your goals, you know what you want to do. So the way I would approach it, um, I just focus on that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, get some hobbies, have some outlets. I love to run. I would go on long runs, I do um, marathons around the country. I used to do the ING half marathon in Miami. You know, take a trip, do something for you. You know, I'm not talking about just uh, for women getting your hair and nails done or for men, you know, going to get a massage or something. I mean, like really do something that feeds into your life and something that you can um, say that you're proud of when you die. Now, some people may say, well, Danielle, that's easy for you to say because you know, you had the kind of structure as a child growing up that gave you the freedom, the permission uh, to, to be able to think and imagine doing things for yourself. For some people, the building is always on fire, right? They get up from the time they wake up to the time they lay down at night, the building is on fire. For many people, out there, and, I, and what I'm going to ask you is to give some encouragement. So, so what do you say to the person who feels like, man, uh, you know, and I say, regardless of where they are on the socioeconomic spectrum, this isn't about race. This isn't about gender. This isn't about where you are socioeconomically. Just for the person who's feeling like, man, they're getting up in the morning, buildings on fire. Throughout the whole day, buildings on fire. When they lay down at night, buildings on fire. When they wake up the next day, buildings on fire. What insight or advice would you personally want to give to that person who, who may minimize the fact that you also had your own adversities that you had to to live through. Oh man, I went through the exact same thing. 
And I know people wouldn't believe it, but I also, to take it out of my perspective and show you what I observed, um, my father once shared with me many years afterwards that he was on the verge of bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And um, I was a kid. Again, I told you I had a happy childhood. I never knew of any problems that were going on with my parents. And I saw them every single day together. Mm-hmm. So we're on the verge of bankruptcy. I didn't know it. I would go into my dad's office, which at one point was a laundry room where mm-hmm. he had like a typewriter. This is way back. He had a typewriter set up and all of his you know, bills and invoices that he would do in there. And he always had this picture up of a beach, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a serene looking pretty beach with still water. I didn't know where it was. And I think one day I asked him, I said, well, where's that beach? What's that about? And he was like, oh, that one? I said, yeah. He said, I look at that beach every day because I'm going to take you guys there one day. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, fun. Where is that? And he said, that's Hawaii. He said, um, I can't afford to go there right now. I said, oh, because, you know, you have to go to work? He said, no, because we don't have the money. Mm. uh, We can't afford to go anywhere right now. So I keep this picture up of where I want to take you all so that I keep my motivation. Mm. You can do that at any stage in your life. I am a big, big believer in vision and keeping a dream in front of you. It doesn't matter what kind of fire you have going on. Because it's hard, but, you know, sometimes you need that vision break, that mental break. You could put that picture up in your car. You could have it, uh, you know, nowadays, your screensaver on your phone, something in front of you. And it doesn't have to be something that's super attainable. You know, it could be a picture of a castle. You want, I'm going to live in that castle one day. Just something that keeps you striving for better. You know, what I'm hearing you say, sorry, I'm writing notes. What I'm hearing you say, an alternative way to say that is define your why. Find, yeah. find, find a why that keeps you going on a daily basis. I know for me, you know, my wife and my kids, I remember, I, I, I remember vividly when I, <laughs> like we, when we were having our son, you know, I was 24 years old. All right. Just, I mean, just, it's crazy to think because my son is now 18. So I'm like, man, six years from now, he'd be the age. It's like crazy. (laughs) So, so, but I, I vividly remember going to the hospital, right. And two days later, getting in the car and then bringing a human being with me. (laughs) And literally, (laughs) I mean, I remember, I remember vividly the clicking of the sound of the car seat going into those, I mean, you get what I'm saying. Like you have to, you know, you have to put the car seat in this, to secure the car seat. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I have a, a whole human being that is that I have to care for now. And man, that drives me every single day of my life. In addition to the mission, in addition to everything, but to your, but I'm hearing you like, that's my why, like that's my visual. So I don't have a picture of my son and daughter and my wife in my car on the wall, but mentally every single day when I get up, I'm thinking the provision, the leadership that I have to exhibit that I want them to follow uh, and the provision that me as a man getting up every single day, dropping my two feet on the floor and going to get it and going to grind, like very important to me. So I appreciate that. I definitely took that as a note. Uh, so that that's good. So everybody out there, Danielle is encouraging you find a picture uh, 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 have a photograph in your head if you can't physically have it and let that be your why. Let that drive you every single day 
uh, that you're going forward. That's powerful. Danielle, why do you think this is so random, but, but I'm just going to throw it out to you. Any, why do you think people struggle with staying in the negative, right? Like, so, um, I mean, because you can look around to some extent and see that there are success stories, you know, so similar to yours where you say like, hey, many people may not think we had challenges, but hey, we did. And the reality is if we really take a step back as human beings, there's nobody I know that hasn't had a roadblock or hasn't had a barrier. Like every human being I know, whether they will admit it or not, is a different thing. But if you're a human, you've hit a wall. You've had a roadblock. I mean, it's, it's just not possible to not to, right? Uh, so talk a little bit about from your perspective, why do people stay in the negative? Why do people hang out in that space? Because it's easy. Mm. You know, it's hard. It The hard is getting out. A lot of people don't want to deal with it. And some people, you know, I hate to say, just want attention. You know, yeah. they want the attention of the negative. Perhaps they don't have anything else to talk about. Maybe that's all they really have going on. And to strive for the positive is so hard or so out of bounds in their in their mental capacity. They'd rather just sit in that negative. I know a lot of people like them. I don't hang around them. I can't. It just it drains me. I love them terribly, but I just I can't do it. You know, um, all you really can do is just be nice. Um, tell them one good time. And then go from there. Yeah, that's a good point. I like to, <clears throat> I think about, you know, what it takes to power remote control versus, you know, what it takes to power a building, right? And how some people, you know, only require the remote control battery power out of you, but others may require, you know, the building power. So you, to your point, you have to be guarded and intentional about, you know, who you let in your circle because some people will zap all the energy out of you. And, and especially if you already struggle with negative thoughts uh, and or, you know, just the, the Debbie Downer syndrome, as people like to say, uh, very important that you consider. Because honestly, like for a lot of people, I know like my childhood growing up, um, there is a mentality. So that's where I was going with it. You know, there was a mentality around work or the lack thereof, if you will, for a lot of people. So for some people, it's actually challenging to go forward just because they're not even around anybody that represents a love for work or seeing work as a privilege. And so uh, that's, that's kind of where I was going on. Any, any additional thoughts on that? Yeah. And those are tough situations. I've seen those too, where the surroundings, I mean, I've seen a lot of people just have to fight to get out of it. And once they get out of it, they really flourish, but I don't know how it gets in them. I don't know, are they born with it or what, that they know that there's something better and something bigger out there for them? Absolutely. A couple more questions for you. So we all dislike certain parts of our job. I know you just moved it to a, you know, you're, you're now a real estate agent officially. And um, what are some of the things that you had to do that you didn't necessarily appreciate doing or prefer doing, but you did them anyway? Or even talk about that from the perspective of where you are today, because a lot of people, you know, a lot of people and I always tease them like, man, who doesn't want the job where they only have they only have to do what they enjoy doing? Like that's the of course, everybody wants that job. Right. But there's a lot that many leaders who climb to the top, 
they've had to do a lot of things that they didn't necessarily prefer doing, but they did them anyway because they wanted what was on the other side of that uh, fulfillment, uh, the financial success, et cetera. So talk a little bit about that from your perspective. I mean, I learned it in athletics that, you know, not, you're not going to like all of the training, but you mm-hmm. should like winning, don't you? So yeah, I feel yeah. the thing I hated doing and to this day, I don't like doing it with sit-ups. Anything related to abs, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it just seemed like a waste, but a true runner could not run without like a good core. So you had to do it every day, sometimes twice a day. So just like um, with work, I mean, yeah, there are a lot of things that I do that I don't dislike, that I dislike, but I think about it, you know, what if this was 50 or 60 years ago? I don't remember the date exactly, but um, when women couldn't work. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have to depend on someone else for my entire financial security. You know, that's, to me, I I can't even fathom it right now. So, you know, that gets me up in the morning, like, okay. And then I try and think, well, maybe there's still a a sister or brother out there that that can't go to work. So now I have the privilege, I can. So let's go do it. Let's get after it. And then, you know, you also think about, well, um, What if this is your last day? You know, what did you contribute? And it's hard to say it because everybody's, you know, young. We all think we're invincible. But I mean, you want to leave the world with something, don't you? Have you ever been to those funerals where it's just real short or there's not a lot in the obituary or nobody wants to stand up and say anything on their behalf? Because I have. It's it's a sad day because, you know, they didn't contribute anything. They could have been nice as pie you know everybody loves them but nobody knew them they didn't leave the mark on the earth on the world i i just can't be satisfied you know that that gets me up and makes me do the things that maybe i dislike about my job you know it's interesting you say that because i too have that outlook that's another thought of what drives me is man if this were the last day for me to see my wife for me to see my kids you know, for me to see the people that I have the privilege of doing life with and working with on a daily basis, you know, with, with this day, would I feel fulfilled and being able to say I gave this day my all? And would they be able to say that I gave this day my all this? The, the, you know, Anthony was giving his all when he left God's green earth, you know, and that literally drives me every single day. So I really appreciate that. Um, what has been the greatest privilege or benefit of your career? Oh, again, working with people. You know, especially when we were with McDonald's, um, you had the ability to groom people and show them not only a skill, but multiple skills. You know, you taught them how to be hospitable. You taught them how to follow a system and a routine and a plan. You taught them discipline. Just so many things that they can take and transfer over to other industries and other jobs if that's not what they wanted to do with their entire lifelong career. So to be able to see that and invest in people. And then even now, I mean, I'm still in touch with them, you know, a little bit and they're still doing well. You know, I take a little bit of that for myself. I'm like, okay, I remember when we sent you to training classes and, you know, now here you are, you're doing great. And that's what we wanted you to do. Even though it's not with us, that's fine. We were investing in you, not in that business. So it. It's great when you just invest in people. It's just like when you're investing in friendship. You know, um, 
even if you guys don't stay friends, hopefully you all learn something from each other, you gain something, and you took away the best of each other. Absolutely. Any advice you would give to someone who has hit a wall, who is specifically work-related, career-related, they've hit a wall and they're trying to figure out how to get beyond that wall. What would you say to that person relative to uh, you know, deciding on their career transition or their next move, any, any insight or words of advice for them? Man, I hit a wall, a big one one day. Um, and it, it wasn't that long ago, maybe like a year and a half ago, I was looking for businesses to invest in. And, you know, one, it's expensive to analyze businesses. And then it just wasn't working out. Whatever I would bid on, the bids wouldn't get accepted or, you know, just a lot of heartbreak over it. And so eventually you just get tired. You're just like, maybe I'll just give up. And so um, people that have hit that wall, you know, what I did in that moment was I just took a step back. You don't have to go on some long soul searching trip. You don't have to start wasting time. What you have to do is just really just be still and kind of listen to yourself. You know, some people are spiritual. You want to pray about it, do that, but just sit and listen and figure out what you need to do or just listen for what you need to do. I think that's the biggest part. Sometimes we're moving so fast in our own logic that um, the, the, the wall is there to make you stop and pause and listen. So maybe, maybe it's for your own good that you just kind of pause. All right, so my last question for you. Tell us three weird or interesting or fun facts about Danielle. Weird or interesting. Weird, interesting, or fun. <laughs> okay. Uh, interesting. I like, I mean, I like um, a lot of guy activities, right? You know, mm. so like, um, I like to go car racing. Huh. You know, I love um, like running outdoors. A lot of girls will do that. You know, I like, yeah. um, I'm, I'm not a tomboy, but I have like tomboyish <laughs> qualities. I don't know. I've always kind of had, yeah. Um, fun facts. Mm, I don't know. I, I'm just like that person that will try almost anything. You know, I'll, I'll try it. You know, the next thing I have on my list is I want to go skydiving. You know, just, I want to try it. I want whatever I can do in this world is you just really ain't got no business doing. I just want to like <laughs> live it. Like not in a big, like flashy way, but I want to like, I want to try it. Like I, I just, that's my fun fact. I just want to try everything. Wow. Thank you so much. And I'm going to actually do just a quick recap of a few things uh, that you shared, but before I do so, uh, I just want to, you know, tell the people out here who are watching this, like, I want to talk a little bit about why WorkFaith. So I want to selfishly plug, do a plug for WorkFaith Connection here, where our mission is to provide faith-based training and coaching for anyone who desires long-term employment. And WorkFaith has been serving the city of Houston for 14 years now, 14 plus years, and over 7,000 people have been trained uh, with a 78% placement in jobs. And so over the course of 14 years, when I first came on board in March of 2020, one of the things we did was we tried to go back and catch up with as many people as possible over the course of that 14 year history. And uh, and Danielle, we had a statistic of 78% of people uh, found it beneficial uh, to have gone through our training uh, and actually got placed 
as a result of going through our training. So I want to put a shameless plug in for Work Faith Connection uh, as an ad. So if you're out there, man, point people our way. We want to help them. It's no cost to them uh, to log onto our platform uh, and uh, to re-enter the workforce if they're looking for jobs, if they're looking for employment. If you just need help sharpening up your resume, your LinkedIn profile. I mean, we've had PhDs, we've had people making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, and we've had people making 12 bucks an hour uh, come onto our platform. So a shameless plug for Workface. So Danielle, man, you said a number of powerful things today. One thing that I appreciated was your your just your thoughts around work as a way of life and how because I think it's a part of you. I see work as part of your DNA. Like you don't necessarily separate it. It's like it's woven into the fabric of your life. And so I want to encourage some people today to think about think about work differently, right? Danielle has decided that work is woven into the fabric of her life. She says she wants to jump out of a plane. Danielle, I don't want any part of that, but I do want to be around to hear to hear from you afterwards. <laughs> so make sure you let me know uh, when you decide to make that decision. I want to hear how that turns out. Uh, but, but again, in the midst of all the fun and everything Danielle has going on, she has made work a part of her life. Also, I heard you talk about the sincerity of investing in people. And I heard you say a lot, but these are just a few takeaways and, and just your sincerity to invest in people. I heard you say it was really passed on generationally. Your parents did it, you've done it, and you've just really learned the value of investing in people. And just through my relationship with you, through obviously our mutual friend, my, my boy, Kevin Gooch, uh, a prominent attorney in Atlanta, you all, an incredible guy, one of my closest friends, I call him brother. Uh, and so, uh, man, you know, even to this day, I see how you love and pour into people, Danielle, how you care for people. So it wasn't a fallacy for you to say that. So I really appreciate it, you saying that. And then also how critical culture is. Uh, I heard you talk about just, man, it's critical that you create a culture where people want, you know, it's hard enough already for a lot of people, right, to even want to go to work. And so I heard you say one of the things you did was you wanted to be intentional about creating a culture where people wanted to be there. Uh, and it, it certainly doesn't hurt to have your personality. So I know people love and enjoy being around you. Uh, and then finally, man, I wanna leave people with the thought of keeping that picture in front of them, that vision. So when life is hard, when they hit a wall, man, when adversity strikes, be reminded of why you're getting up every single day and going after your dreams, all right? And so uh, those are my four takeaways uh, from Danielle. Of course, I had a whole list of things, but those are just four that I wanted to share. Danielle, it's been such an absolute honor to have you join me today. And I look forward to more dialogues in the future. And, and by all means, I'm gonna keep you included in our community and plug you in. So thank you so much for, for being with us today. Thank you so much, Anthony. It was great. Great Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Work Faith Podcast. Make sure to tune in next time for more conversation around how to find fulfillment through the intersection of work and faith. Now go make the day amazing.